thank you for being a, a, a tremendous church. I felt the Holy Spirit this morning and had great conversation down here with my brother, and we prayed together. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, and I, if you've ever been to church in a Baptist uh, church, you've heard Charles Haddon Spurgeon quoted many, many times. But Spurgeon said, being in church, Henry, is next door to heaven. Have you ever thought of it like that? I like that. When you're in church, you're next door to heaven. You're with the people of God. You're with those who love Jesus, and uh, you're with those who are going to be with the Lord. And I, I know you've had some folks go to be with the Lord even this week. And uh, Brother Humphreys, I went to school with his son David. And I don't know if David's still in town, but he and I used to drive back and forth from Memphis to Nashville to go to school at Belmont. And uh, I knew what a great boy at that time, a young man in his teens, David was. And down to here, Brother James, and he's crossed over. And we're going to be there before long. Amen. He's coming back. And did I, I must have given you the title of my sermon. Yeah, okay, the title of my sermon is The Second Coming of Jesus Christ. So take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 19. I love the book of Revelation. Uh, it begins with a blessing. There are seven Beatitudes or seven blessings in the book of Revelation. Uh, Beatitude just means that you're totally contented with God, a blessing. Uh, the first Beatitude is blessed is he that reads and keeps the words of this prophecy. Now, all the Bible has a blessing. Amen to that. But the book of Revelation is the only book that says you get an extra blessing from reading the book of Revelation. We need to talk about the second coming. As you're turning your Bibles, let me say thank you for being a wonderful mission-supporting church. Thank you, Brother Henry, for showing that uh, video about the Golden State Offering uh, which is to Tennessee missions, and there's a lot of mission needs in Tennessee, uh, what the Lottie, Lottie Moon offering is to foreign missions, international missions. It's what Annie Armstrong offering is to North American missions in the effort to plant 32 SEND churches in 32 SEND cities, strategic uh, metropolitan areas of America, and many, many churches, hundreds, literally over the last few years, have been planted by your prayers. Now, the North American Mission Board has planted no churches. You say, what? No, because they help churches plant churches. Only churches can plant churches. Uh, and you're part of supporting the North American Mission Board as they support churches in planting churches. Thank you for your gifts to the cooperative program. Uh, the cooperative program is the sacred how of how we do missions. Uh, all it supports, and you're a strong, strong supporter of the cooperative program. I had a few things that I was never going to give in on as a pastor for over 50 years, and that was reducing cooperative program. That is the most important thing we give to. I always said first 10% goes to the cooperative program, and that's our tithe to support work around the world. And I thank God for your church and supporting and support, uh, loving great pastors through the years. Brother Fred Ward was a fellow pastor of my, uh, here in Tennessee as I served here for many years and how I respected and respect him. And Mrs. Lois Ward, still a member of this church, thank you for your faithful love and your faithful support. Then Jacob Harris, as I say the word, I want to smile. I just love Jacob Harris. Uh, as 
in the years since retiring from active pastor for those years, God, amazingly so, opened up ministry for me and pastor relations all across the country with pastors in the United States. And I want to tell you there is no pastor in the United States that I love, respect, and have more confidence in than Jacob Harris. I love this, this man. Jacob's probably listening there in, in Israel. You can pay me later for all these things that I'm saying. I'm filling in for Jacob, except I didn't bring my guitar. I should have known. I would have brought my guitar. No, I couldn't play it if I did even have one. But I do love, he has such a uh, respect for people and a, a preaching of the Word of God and mission focus, and he relates to the pastors in his community so well. Thank God for First Baptist Church, Huntington. Now let's talk. Amen. Give yourself a hand. Praise the Lord. Give Jesus a hand. Uh, I love the church, and I believe in the church, and now it leads me to the sermon today. Revelation chapter 19. You know, there's a lot of different uh, interpretations of the book of Revelation. I'm a literalist. I won't get into all, all that that means. But any commentary that I read on the book of Revelation, they never argue over what the 19th chapter is about. They'll argue about what other chapters are about. But they never argue about what the 19th chapter is about. It's about the second coming of Jesus Christ, and he's coming back. We live in perilous times. Henry Blackaby said that when an, an event happens in a world that grabs everybody's attention, the pulpit needs to speak about it the next Sunday. Well, today's September 11th, and I felt so led to talk about, uh, as a backdrop of the second coming, the events of our world. The video you showed a moment ago basically handled my introduction of all the things that are going on. I don't need to recount them again. Today is the 21st, I believe it's the 21st anniversary of September 11th, which is to our generation what December 7th, 1941 was to another generation. 2,900 plus killed at Pearl Harbor, almost 3,000 plus in one day there in the falling of the Twin Towers. But I won't, don't want to come and talk to you about the news, but Jesus did this same thing that I'm trying to do today. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus said, do you think that those people, those 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell and killed 18 people, were they worse sinners than anybody else? Jesus took a current event, the falling of a tower, a disaster, in which 18 people were killed. He said, do you think they were worse sinners than anybody else? He said, no, I tell you they weren't. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus took a disaster background and said, if you don't repent and believe in me and come to God, you will repent in the same way, a worse way, spiritually, eternally lost in hell forever. Just as that disaster pictured such a horrible thing on earth. So we had Twin Towers fall, September 11th, 2001, and you know the rest of the story. We've been in a 21-year war of terror now, and God help us all. The greatest need of the day is for the church of Jesus Christ to serve him, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. What does God have to say to us in these perilous times? I think Revelation 19 has a message for us. Four things that I hope to say to you before we leave here in a few moments. That Revelation 19 tells us 
that we should be thinking about grabbing hold of. Uh, these are perilous times. One other word of introduction just to show you how, what, it, what Paul meant about perilous times. For he said in 2 Timothy 3, know that in the last days, perilous times would come. Now you know what perilous means, but I, I began to study that a little bit and look it up and said, is there another word in the New Testament that could help me define that word perilous? What does that word perilous mean? And as you search and study those words in the scripture and you compare them in the original, I found one, and it was in Matthew chapter 8. And it talked about the Gadarene demoniac. And you remember the, there were two of them. Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee to go into the area of Gad. Now, Gad was named after one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Gad was an interesting uh, tribe. They did not want to cross the Jordan. They stayed on the other side of Jordan, and they uh, departed from the true faith. And if you remember the story, that was where they raised the 2,000 swine. They were raising pigs over there, and there were two demons over there. Now, what was wrong with raising pigs? These were Jewish people. You don't eat swine. They were bootleggers, bootlegging swine. That's exactly what they were doing. So Jesus decided that he was going to be the revenuer, and he cast those demons out of the Gadarene demoniac and put them into the swine, and, and the swine went over the cliff, and you know that story in the scripture. But it said that the Gadarene demoniac, before he was delivered of the... Uh, demons, and it said they were legion, many, 6,000 at least, a legion 6,000. It said he was fierce. And this just grabbed me when I realized that that word fierce in the original language is the same word Paul uses in 2 Timothy 3, perilous times. These times before the second coming will be demonic, fierce, perilous times and it's not a time to be a half-hearted Christian it's a time to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ to do God's will I say that to all the young people especially as you go out into this world you've got to make some decisions of whether you believe the Bible or you're going to believe the fierceness the de demonic teachings the perilous times of this world well what's the first thing that I would like to say that the scripture says that God wants us to understand in these perilous times. When we go to 19.4, and the four and twenty elders and the four living creatures, Revelation 19.4, fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. Underline twice the word throne there. In four and five, the first thing I would like for us to think about is that our loving God controls all things and will, hallelujah, have the last word. God is in charge despite the perilous times we live in. Despite this being September 11th and 21 years ago, you, you knowing what happened, God our loving God controls all things and will have the last word. That comforts my heart. God is not just learning what happens on earth. 
Someone well said, and I smiled when I heard him say it, but he was getting across the point in a way that made me smile. He said in his sermon, no angel ever walked up to God and said, Lord, you'll never guess what just happened on earth. That'll never happen. Nothing that happens on earth or in your life or in the tragedies of this world in these perilous days will take God off guard. He reigns, reigns from his throne today. It's verse 4. It says, he, they worship God that sat on the throne. There are two images in the book of Revelation that are the two most important when, in terms of they continuously show up in the book. The throne and the lamb. The throne, and we first see in Revelation 4, where God was on the throne, and the lamb we see in Revelation 5. So God controls everything from his throne. He has mapped it all out. This is not blind fatalism, but it's a God that has set up his purposes, and his purposes will not fail despite the sinfulness and rebellion of mankind. And he will not only reign today, he will reign universally in that day. Look at verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He will reign forever and ever and ever. He reigns today, and he will reign in that day. The great reformer Martin Luther said there are only two days. That got my attention when I was reading that. There are only two days. Today, amen, and that day when he's coming again. That's it. There's only two days. Today. Tomorrow never comes. It's always today. We've got today. God controls everything today in our life and in our world. And that day, he will come back and control everything. And the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdom, kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. I've been studying on Wednesday night uh, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which I believe are, are all literally true. Amen. You can say amen anytime you want to. I believe the Bible and we're studying the Noah's Ark, and I love to say this, and I apply it to today. When Noah and his three sons and, his, and the eight people got on the ark, Noah was the absolute minority on earth. Sometimes we feel like the minority, don't we? We feel like there's fewer and fewer, they say, there's fewer and fewer Bible-believing Christians. Our missionaries in Germany tell us that by survey, 80% of Germans say they're atheists. I don't know that that's true, but that's what these surveys say. When Noah got on that ark, they were the absolute minority. Hallelujah. But when Noah got off that ark, they were the complete majority. Amen? Jesus wins. That's what the book of Revelation says. He is in control. Go to verse 7. Second thing that I believe this scripture tells us, in verse 7 is that the church will not fail. Oh, that's good news. I'm glad to know that. I, I believed it in my heart, but I'm glad to read it here. The Lamb died for his church and will come for her. Look at verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife, the church, the bride of Christ, has made herself ready. Uh, the Lamb, of course, is Jesus. The story of the Bible is based on three statements. Genesis 22, 7. Where is the Lamb? 
The Old Testament kept asking that question, just as Isaac asked that of Abraham. John the Baptist said at the baptism of Jesus, Behold the Lamb! And the story of the New Testament is Jesus has come, the Lamb is here. Revelation says, Worthy is the Lamb. And that's what the universe will say when Jesus comes again. We have a Lamb that died for the church. And the second thing we see is the Lamb that will be the bride of Christ, as we've mentioned in verse 7. Uh, the church is today the body of Christ. The church is the beloved of Christ. The church is the building of Christ. And the church one day will be the bride of Christ. Then verse 8, the church should be preparing itself now with holy living. The church wins. It's our duty in these perilous times to read verse 8 and do this. To her, the church was granted that she'd be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, and fine linen. And here is the, it says the righteous acts of the saints. We're made clean by the blood of Christ, but we're to stay clean by staying close to Christ. Justification, I'm right with God. Sanctification, I'm walking in the Spirit. Glorification, I will come again and He will come again. I will be like Jesus. Verse 9, the church is God's place of blessing now and in all eternity. Here's another one of those seven Beatitudes. Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is where I want to be. I'm committed to the church of Jesus Christ because I'm committed to Jesus. Well, every so I was went to college in the 60s. Everything went crazy in the 60s, and now the later on in the 80s, the people that were going crazy in the 60s were running the country. That's what that's what happened. And so you would you would hear I would hear people say often, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. You still hear that today. That's an impossibility. The church is the body of Christ. You can't love Jesus and not love his church. You can't say, Roger, I love you, but I don't like your wife. You can't say that. The church is the body and bride of Christ. We've got our flaws, but one day we'll be without spot, without blemish. Hallelujah. And those who are at the marriage supper of the Lamb in Christ are blessed. I could give you testimony after testimony personally. Everything good that's ever happened to me happened to me in church. My parents met in church. I met my wife in church. Everything good about anything that ever happened to me has to do with the church. Pastor churches for 50 years. And I want to say this as a testimony unto God. I was a pastor for 50 years. And every moment of that 50 years of being the pastor of a Baptist church was an honor. I didn't say every moment was good. But I said every moment was an honor. Because there's nothing greater than the church, the Christian home, marriage, Christian marriage, and the church. Those are the two pillars upon which civilization rests. I'm committed to the church, and thank God I believe you are too. Now go to verse 10. Third thing I think the Lord wants us to see from this passage is that prophecy will be fulfilled. Let's talk about that for a moment as we come toward the conclusion of the message. The Lord is telling us that he controls all things in this passage. He's telling us the church will not fail. And he's telling us prophecy will be fulfilled. Verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See you do it not. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Amen. 
for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus is the center of worship. We believe that. There's no other way to go to heaven except through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And he, it, is, uh, he is, it is the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But notice also verse 10 says, Jesus is the center of Bible prophecy. And this is a great little half of a verse, third of a verse. Jesus, the testimony of Jesus, is the spirit of prophecy. Let's talk about that for a moment. The Bible is a book of prophecy. Have you ever thought about the fact that almost everything written in the Bible when it was written was a prophetic statement? Illustration. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Darkness upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be... And before he said the word light, it was still dark, right? Yeah, still dark. He's making a prophecy. Let there be light. And there was light. That was a prophecy and fulfilled immediately after he spoke it. The Bible's a book of prophecy. By the way, some people say, how could there be light before there was the sun on the fourth day? Excuse me, duh, God is light. It was the light of God. Every drop of light in this universe comes from the glory of God. He is light. And there is no darkness at all. So the Bible's prophecy. Uh, listen to this quote by George Sweeting, who was the president of Moody Bible Institute. It is, a, it is a striking quote about prophecy. Here it is. Every One in every 30 verses in the Bible refer to the second coming. I didn't know that, but I believe George Sweeting does. Counted him, and he knows. More than one-fourth of the Bible is predictive prophecy. Approximately one-third of the Bible prophecy is yet to be fulfilled. Both the Old and the New Testament is about, have prophecies about the return of Christ. 1,800 references to the second coming appear in the Old Testament. 17 Old Testament books give prominence to that theme. 260 chapters in the New Testament refer to the Lord's return. 300 references Almost all the books in the New Testament refer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is coming again, which is my fourth and final point. Let's look at verse 11, and you get ready to, if you don't feel like shouting, I wonder about you after we get through reading this. Jesus will come again. That's the four things. God's in control. The church cannot fail. Bible prophecy will be fulfilled Praise God, as the choir sang, our risen Savior will come again. The Bible's full of prophecies about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'll read a few of them. John 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9, unto him that look for him shall he appear the second time. 1 John 3, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Acts 1.11, this one seals it for me. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, God said to the angel, be sure to say it just like that. Don't just say Jesus, say this same 
Jesus, and there will be no uh, mistake about who he's talking about, which is taken from heaven, shall so come in like manner. Many, many others. Let's look now at this passage, verse 11. I'm going I'm to give you the points, and I think they'll be on the screen. Then I'm going to go back and read the whole passage, and then we'll close. He will come from heaven. Verse 11 says, heaven opened. He will come as he promised. His name is called Faithful and True. He will come as sovereign and judge, to judge and make war. He will come as the king of glory, wearing many crowns. He will come to claim his earth, clothed in a vesture dipped in blood. He will come as God's final word. His name is called the word of God. He will come with his angels and his church. Armies in heaven follow him. He will come with a rod of iron. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he will come, read it out loud with me, as King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen and a hallelujah. Let me read the whole passage now. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I saw that as I came in. Thank you. I like that. Verse 13, he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. 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 Give your heart to Jesus if you haven't done it already. We've got a new king on earth last week. I was sad to see Elizabeth II died. She was a fine lady, respectable Christian, honorable, great lady. She's gone to be with Jesus. Now we've got King Charles III. I'm going to have to get used to that. King Charles has not been a great name in English history. First one got his, got his head cut off. So I hope this one does a whole lot better. I hope he turns all the way to the Lord. And I'm, not, I'm sure that he does believe in Jesus. When George II first heard the first playing of Handel's Messiah, he stood up. And that's why we've been standing up ever since when they played the Hallelujah Chorus. When Victoria, that great teenager who became the queen, I love Victoria as a godly Christian lady, they woke her up in the middle of the night and said, you're queen. And she said, almost trembling as a child, she said, I will be good. I will be good. Isn't that wonderful? She said, more than anything, I want to do God's will. She said, 
Should Jesus Christ come back in my lifetime, I will lay the crown of the British Empire at his feet. At that point, the British Empire controlled the world. I hope you and I lay our crowns at Jesus' feet. I hope that we love Jesus with all our heart. That's God's call to you today, and that's God's message to you today. Trust in Jesus. Give the kingdom of your life to Jesus. How do you do the will of God? That's a good question, isn't it? I've mulled over that one for decades. Finally occurred to me, here's the best way to explain it. How do you do the will of God? This way, by doing the very next thing he tells you to do right now and keep doing it the rest of your life and you'll do the will of God. You did that this morning already. You got out of bed, you ate your breakfast, and you came to church. You did the will of God today. Some of you have never been baptized. Say, I don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. I know, but if you want to be proud of yourself when you go to heaven, you're going to be baptized. If you've never been baptized and you die, you're going to say, why didn't I get baptized? Baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and everybody who's saved should be baptized. That, it's the will of God. We have this invitation now, and Cliff will be here at the front. If you've never been baptized, come tell him. You need to have a local church where you live. Everybody needs a home church and a church home. And you need to just keep following Jesus, loving Jesus, talking to Jesus, belonging to Jesus, and just give it all to Jesus. Jesus is coming back one day, and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Just let Jesus be king of your life every day every day you get up say lord my day is yours i turn my life over to you that's how you do the will of god may i close with one final brief story about a moment in my life as when i was pastor at first baptist clarksville it's almost holy ground for me there have been two ladies joined our church one was 90 one was 70 one was the mother one was the daughter both their husbands had just died. Well, the 70-year-old had just died. The other lady, the older mothers, had been a widow for a long time. And they moved to Clarksville and moved together, got in the same home, and life had gone full circle. And Dottie Balakas and Covella McKinney, 90-year-old mother, 70-year-old daughter, joined First Baptist, and they sat in the back over here every Sunday, never missed church. I'm going to talk about Covella. She was about the height of Lottie Moon. You know, Lottie Moon was about 4 foot 10. But don't mess with her, I'm telling you, don't mess with her. Covella was about 4'10". And Dottie called me up one day. They'd been members of the church about seven years. Dottie was 96 or 97 at this point. Covella, uh, Dottie said, Mother's ill. She's in a coma. They don't think she's going to come out. She's in the hospital. I said, oh, I'm out of town. As soon as I get there, first thing, I'll be there. That day, I'll be there. So, now, the day will not pass until I'm there. Got there. You know how it is for a pastor. And uh, About 9 o'clock that night, I sneaked into the hospital, got in just before they locked the front doors, went up to the bed, and the daughter said, Mama is in a coma. She hasn't spoken in four days. She hasn't eaten in four days. She's drunk nothing in four days. She's not got any tubes in her. We're just letting God do what God's going to do. 
and she hasn't said a thing. I don't think she even, she doesn't even know we're here. I said, well, let me do this. So I knelt over her, and I knew her well. I said, Miss Colton, she hadn't spoken in four days, she hadn't eaten in four days, in a coma, in a coma. True story. I said, Miss Covella, it's Brother Roger. I've come to pray for you. She opened her eyes and looked straight up at me and said with a clear clarion voice, Oh, Pastor, I love Jesus with all my heart. <laughs> so I did what I always do with that situation. I quoted the 23rd Psalm. I quoted John 3:16. I quoted the Lord's Prayer. I prayed for her. She closed her eyes, and two hours later, she was in glory land with Jesus. Amen. So I, I hope that the last thing you and I say is, I love Jesus with all my heart. And that's the way you're turning over the kingdom of your life to the will of God. God help us all. We're going to stand in a moment. Cliff will be here at the front. If there's a decision you need to make for the Lord, you make it after this prayer. May we pray. Father, thank you for your love, your grace. Oh, God, thank you for the first coming of Jesus Christ, where he died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day, according to the scripture. Thank you for the second coming of Jesus Christ, in which he will come back and redeem his own and set the kingdom of God, not only in the hearts of those who believe, but over all the universe. Hasten the day. Bless this service, and may this help us know this may be the last one we'll ever go to, and may we do the will of God in Jesus' name. Amen.